being a dad brings with it many, many joys. And for those of you that don't know me, maybe you're visiting today, I have three children and two foster children looking more and more likely to come. So I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and it looks highly likely we're going to have a 4-year-old and a 2-year-old and who we're going to be fostering in the longer term, hopefully. Which I haven't told you that, but just in case, you know, you need to know. And, you know, for me, there's been many great joys about being a dad. I mean, there, our kids are hilarious. I mean, they are. They just say things that just bring their dad so much joy and do things that bring so much joy. My mom and dad were here a few weeks ago, their grandparents. And then Lydia, who was watching the news, who was seven-year-olds do, was aware that, oh, things are a bit troubling in Iraq. So she turned to my mom and said, Things look pretty bad in, in Iraq. And, and my mom, grandma was saying, yeah they're, yeah, they're pretty bad right now. And she said, grandma, do you travel over Iraq on your way home? And she said, well, yeah, actually we do. The flight goes over, goes over Iraq. So Lydia looked just a square in her eye. Good luck. And walked away. <laughs> you just think, that's my daughter right there, you know. I just, you know, they do things that just crack me up all the time. I remember a few years ago. And we went, we went on holiday to Nambucca, and uh, I sat down, I'm like, oh, you know, I think it would just be so nice if the family could serve me today, because I'm tired. I was having one of those special day moments. And, and as I said, you know, if somebody could go get me a glass of wine, that's fine. And Josh was about 10 at the time, and he goes, I'll go. And off he goes, and Emma says, Josh, you can't. And he said, I'll just get there and tell him I've got a growth problem. And you're like, Josh, you know, I don't know whether they're going to fall for that, mate, but I do like your style. You know, my kids... They do things that bring me great joy, that make me real proud of them. Funny moments, but also joyful moments and times when you are just so grateful to the Lord to be a dad. You see, children without doubt are a great gift from the Lord. However they've come about in all reality, whatever the human form of that, God has given us children They're a reward. That's what we read. Behold, children are a heritage. From whom? Mum and dad? No. From the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. God gifts us with children. And they do bring us great joy. Now, I don't want to give the impression that our kids or anybody else's kids then are just delightful all the time. I think I've never had more joy than being a dad. But I think I've never had more challenges than being a dad. It's really hard. And there are times with them and you just think, are they, are they ever going to get it? Are we ever going to move on from this issue that we're seeking to parent them in? But the thing that I've been thinking about today and really over this week as it pertains to fatherhood is just how fleeting it is. How fleeting the opportunity we have as fathers to train our children in the way they should go and point them to all that they're called by the Lord to follow. Douglas Wilson says it this way. He says, children grow up, and once they are adults, the work of child-rearing is done. Parents, therefore, have what might be called a fleeting opportunity to fulfill their scriptural mandate, to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. My friends, I think that's about right. I still remember when Josh was born, and I remember we would bring him home from the hospital, and we'd put him on on the pillow, and he was about this big. He was so small. He was very early. And so we used to put him on the pillow, and I used to just look at him, to be honest. And I'd lie next to him and just, just look at him, because I just like looking at him. And he would fall asleep with his arms in the air. He would have these arms like back on the pillow. You're like, this is great. And that seems like yesterday to me, but next year, Josh is going to be 13 years old. 
I left home at 18 years old. And you think, where's that gone? A blink of an eye and, and it's all come to an end. What God has entrusted to me as a dad to care for and protect and lead and provide and encourage and train, these years are going to be coming to an end sooner than I actually realize. And that's the case for all of us. We have at best a fleeting opportunity. And so I've called today's message, Don't Waste Your Fatherhood. And I want to speak to every individual who is a father. And I want to encourage you in ensuring that you don't waste it. You don't waste this opportunity that God has given you. And I want us to look then at what it means to be a wise and faithful father. What it means as a Christian dad to actually embrace God's word and do what we're called to do by the Lord when it comes to parenting our children. Now, a couple of disclaimers. First of all, I don't consider myself, even for a moment, a showcase dad. I just don't. You know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm called to bring all of God's word to bear on people. And yet there is this issue in particular where I would rather employ somebody else to do it. Because I'm aware I'm still in motion. My kids aren't a finished product. You know, I'm still in the midst of being a dad, just like you are. I don't want to be promoting, well, I think we need to do this, this, and this. It's like, I don't know. We haven't seen the fruit of my labors yet. And so for me, I, I wouldn't want anybody to think for a moment that, oh, he's preaching on this because he thinks he's got it all together. I, I don't think that at all. I'm just speaking to treat, seeking to be a pastor. A guy who's coming alongside you as men and as brothers and saying, look, from one dad to another, let us all then sit underneath God's word together. And let's see how God addresses me as well as you when it comes to the issue of fatherhood. Also, I want you to know, if you're here today and you're not a father, this message is still for you. Because we're a family. And if we're going to be supporting fathers for the glory of the Lord, we need to understand what is God calling them to do. And in the same way we seek to stand alongside mums and singles and youth and kids, we need to know what God is calling each of the different folk to so we can support that. So that we can be praying for people and encouraging them and fanning it into flame. If you are, though, a dad... Well, this message is very specifically and in particularly to you. So I've got three things, three things that I want to encourage you in if you're making notes. Three things that I think the Bible helps to see what it really means to be a wise or faithful father. And here's the first one. Wise and faithful fathers lead their homes. Wise and faithful dads understand the calling of God on their life. And as a result of that, they stand at the front of their family and they lead it. And they're prepared to lead it for the glory of the Lord. You see, whenever we study the home, just like every other area of the Christian life, we, we have to understand and realize that doctrine matters. What we believe about things and what the Bible says on things has to be the, the starting point for all of us. So what does it mean to be a dad? Well, we don't start with, well, my dad told me this and my granddad told me that. You think, well, that's jolly nice. It, the issue is, what does the Bible say? Doctrine matters. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. He says, the conviction that Christian doctrine matters is one of the most important growth points of the Christian life. I think he's exactly right. One of the most important growth points that anybody goes through in their life is when they realize doctrine matters. What, what God's word has to say about my life is the most important thing 
rather than what I feel. It's what is real, what is God saying. Bruce Milne then carries on with that very same point. He says, why then is the study of doctrine so vital? Well, firstly, as a matter of plain fact, every Christian is a theologian. Once we have grasped this, our duty is to become the best theologians we can be for the glory of God as our understanding of God and his ways are clarified and deepened through studying the book he has given us for that purpose, the Bible. Secondly, getting doctrine right is the key to getting everything else right. If we are to know who God is, who we are, and what God wants of us, we need to study scripture. That means it's teaching as a whole, and that means doctrine. This holds true for every single area of the Christian life. Listen. For at every point, right living begins with right thinking. That's true for every area of life. Right living begins with right thinking. And that's true for home life too. Right living in the way we set up our homes begins with right thinking. What does the Bible have to say about my home? And what you realize as you study the Bible is the Bible does say things about our homes. God has a pattern and a plan for our homes. And he has a pattern for a home that really is clarified by two in particular things. Firstly, men and women are equal in value, dignity, and ability to reflect the character of God as his image bearers. So we have to start there when we're looking at right thinking. And what you quickly becomes clear is, you know, right, if we, men and women are, are equal in value and dignity and ability to reflect to the character of the Lord. It says here in Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is pre-fall. It's just in creation. And God makes man and he makes woman. And both of them, both male and female, are image bearers unto the Lord. Equal in value, equal in dignity, equal in ability to reflect the character of God as his image bearers. And our culture then screams at us and says, because it's equal in value, it must be equal in everything. Every role must be totally equal. And to that, God looks back, because right living starts with right thinking, God looks back in Genesis chapter 2 and says, you know what? No. Yes, man and woman are equal in value and dignity and ability, but men and women are made different and distinct in their roles. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2. The fall hasn't even taken place yet. God makes man, he makes Adam, and he makes him very clearly and calls him in Genesis chapter 2 to be the head of his home, to lead his home. And he realizes, you know what, Adam, it's not great for you to be alone. So I'm going to make you Eve. I'm going to give you a helper. And Eve is then birthed out of Adam, and she becomes a helper. So men and women are equal in value and dignity and ability to reflect the glory of the Lord, but they are made different in roles. There is a head of the home, 
And there is a helper in the home. And on that day, when God had made all creation, he looked at it all and he said, over it all, it is good. But then Genesis 3 comes in. The fall begins. Sin comes into the world. And what you see very quickly as part of the curse is that men and women, although equal in, in, in worth, in their roles, they start to have difficulties. So men, as they work the ground, God makes it very clear that there's now going to be pain and difficulty in that work. That's why when guys say to me at different points, you know, I just wish we didn't have to work at all. It's so difficult. I think, yes, that's Genesis chapter 3. That's the fall. That's what, that's what happens. It's, 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 it's work. It's called work. It's hard labor. For women, in what they're called to do is they seek to help and support the husband. God says, you're now going to have pain and difficulty in childbirth. And for couples, there's now going to be pain and difficulty in their relationships. Genesis 3.16. Ladies and wives are now going to want to desire for their husbands. Literally desire to rule over them and manipulate them. And men, you're going to desire to rule over your wife. And so difficulty through the fall came into our homes. Men, as they were leading, are now going to start having difficulty with that. Women, as they're seeking to follow, are going to start having difficulty with that. And the mess starts to come in into our biblical amount of womanhood in the context of our home. And then comes Ephesians 5. Let's turn there. Turn to Ephesians 5. Let's let Paul make sense for it all. See, Paul, as you study Ephesians 5 and 6, has quite clearly been studying Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He even quotes Genesis 2 at one point. That's why we know he was so there. And Paul gives us then God's grand design for the home. He explains for us But for you now as Christians who love the Lord, for you as individuals who were once lost, who have now been adopted into the very family of God, who have now been saved by his abounding and amazing grace, I therefore now urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Ephesians chapter 4. And then he starts to lay out what that's going to mean. And in chapter 5 and 6, he starts talking about what that is going to mean in the context of a home. And in Ephesians 5, then, verse 22, he starts to help us see once again that there is a head and there is a helper in the home. Reporting back from Genesis 2. He says, wives, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Right early on then in chapter 5, he explains, you know what? Sin corrupted our relationships as men and women, but it didn't create them. It didn't create those roles. God created those roles. And for you now as Christians then, you need to go back to those roles that God's created you for. That's God's grand design for the home. And so he addresses ladies. You need to understand that you have a head in your home. It's your husband. And you need to help him and submit to him and follow him. John Piper says differential roles were corrupted and not created by the four. They were created by God. You know, in our society, that is something that has been totally denigrated. Because there is this massive assumption that equal in value must equal equal in role. And that's being driven to us all the time as if that's the norm. And God says, you know what? I haven't designed it like that. 
And I think one of the reasons why it is being driven away in our culture is because so much of what headship is looking like is domination and chauvinism. It's men that are leading their homes with an iron fist and just saying, well, I'm the head of the home. You should do as you're told. This is the way it is. That is not headship as biblically defined. Nowhere in Scripture is that headship. This is headship in Scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. If you want a picture of what headship in the home looks like, Within the context of marriage, it looks like a man who understands he's called by the Lord to lead his home and then proceeds to offer that leadership by laying his life down for his wife. I don't think there's many ladies in the room that would have a problem with Jesus leading them in the context of home. And what the Lord is saying is you should be leading your homes like Jesus. You should be laying your life down for your wife, seeking to provide for her, protect her, care for her your whole tone of the way you go about this is sacrificial love for your wife headship is characterized by love and centered around sacrifice now right living proceeds with right thinking men you are called to lead your homes if you're a husband then you are called by the lord to lay your life down for your wife to sacrifice for her to love her, to protect her, to provide for her, to care for her. But that is, by very nature, leadership of the home. You are called to lead. If God was to arrive into your home and want to address somebody in your home about how the home is going, I submit to you, as you examine the early parts of Scripture, he would arrive in your home and he would look for you as the man. And he would put the microphone in your mouth. It's okay, tell me about your home. That's what he does with Adam. It's what he does with the patriarchs. According to Ephesians 5, we're still the head of the home. He's still looking for us. And so if you're a husband, you're a leader of a relationship by the nature of the way God has designed it to be. And if you're a father, there's something more for you within this leadership of the home. And, and this blew me away this week. Look at Ephesians 6. Paul's just helped us see God's grand design for the home in biblical man and a woman in the context of marriage. And then he starts to talk about the home. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You think, this is good. He's addressing children. I'm I'm liking this thing. You know, they're going to be honoring me and loving me. So I'm assuming now that now he's going to be addressing mums and dads, right? Just address kids towards honoring the mum and dad. Now surely he's going to be addressing mum and dad. What does he actually say? Verse 4. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Whoa, hang on a minute, Paul. Didn't you just encourage children to honor your mother and father? Yes. So, mother and father now? No, no, you need to understand there is a headship issue. So my instruction is to fathers. Fathers, you need to bring your children up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Now, so there not be any misunderstanding here. Obviously, I'm not saying, and neither is the Bible, that ladies, therefore, don't do anything with regard to discipline and instruction of the children. Of course you do. Proverbs 1 verse 8 says, Hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. All the way through scripture, it's important that both men and women are seeking to teach and train their children for the glory of the Lord. But what I am seeking to address here is the important biblical premise that the ownership and responsibility of that role is on you as fathers. Will your wife assist you in that? Yes. I trust she will. Will she help you in that? I trust so. But it's your role. It's your responsibility. On that last day, the Lord is going to be coming to you and finding out, okay, so how did you and your wife go in that? Because I addressed you. It's a big deal, isn't it? And understanding fatherhood at very nature, at a foundation, you have to understand that wise and faithful fathers lead their home. They understand that they're called by the Lord and set apart by the Lord to lead their home, to bring leadership and initiative and training and zeal to their home for the glory of the Lord. You nervous yet? (laughs) Because see all the dads going, yes. Okay, number two. Wise and faithful fathers... Seek to dazzle their kids with the Lord. As an expression of the leadership, as an expression of the training, wise and faithful fathers, I think, grasp that and therefore seek to dazzle their kids with their Lord. You see, our opportunity, as I said at the start, in child training is at best fleeting, isn't it? The call of God on our lives to train our children in the way they should go, understand that we carry the leadership in that role, is huge. It's vast. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a woman, so I can't multitask very well. You know, I don't do very well if there's loads of things going through my mind. I need like one thing and just give me one thing to do and I'll be okay. So the idea of training them the way they should go, you just think, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Well, wise and faithful fathers understand that the very core of what it means to train their children in the way they should go is to dazzle them with the Lord. Where do we get that from? Psalm 78. Let's turn there. Because you don't have to take my word for it. It comes from a man named Asaph. See, Asaph in the Bible is well known as a psalmist. He wrote 12 psalms. He's well known as a musician. Wherever you see him in scripture, he seems to be playing something. He's probably a bit like Zane. He just plays everything that exists And whenever you see him, we're recognizing that he's a Levite. But additionally to that, Asaph was also an outstanding father. See, if I could say to you as brothers this morning that, you know what? You could train your children in the way they should go. And if you do it in a certain way, understanding certain things. Now, you still have to be reliant upon the Lord. You can just teach plainly, but ultimately he's the shine the light. But you can nonetheless center your ministry towards your kids around one thing. And just maybe then, your children and your children's children and your children's children for the next 500 years will go on worshiping Jesus Christ and the Lord. You would take it, right? What a legacy. 
Well, that's Asaph's legacy. That's his story. If you actually follow the storyline of Scripture and follow Asaph, you see his children and his children's children and his children's children for 500 years. It probably went on longer than that. It's just I don't know. But what I do know is 500 years of men and women serving the Lord, loving the Lord. What an incredible legacy. And I want to be mentored by people like that, don't you? I want to learn. Okay, Asaph, what did you get? And in Psalm 78, he gives us, he tells us what he gets. What a great person to learn from. It's actually entitled, Tell the Coming Generation. And this is what he says. Look at verse 1. What a wonderful mentor for us as fathers. He says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Exclamation mark. He wants to gather us all in and say, Okay, well, look, let's check it out. What are we going to be doing as fathers? What is some of the central truths that we want to be passing on? I want to tell anybody who will listen to me right now. And so you will find in verse 3 and in verse 5, he is particularly addressing dads. There is a particular emphasis on fathers, but right now he's just gathering the troops. Verse 2 then. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. He's saying, listen, I want you to gather around and listen to what I'm going to say, because I'm going to tell you something that I've learned from our fathers. I've learned this from my dad. And I'm aware many people have learned these from our dads. Things of old, things that I want us to be passing on. And then in verse 4, he gives then picture of the future generations to come and how we're meant to position ourselves as fathers towards them. He says, and we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation. What are we to tell them? The glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. What is at the very core of Asaph's ministry as a father? It is that of dazzling his children with the Lord. It is that of telling to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And from verse 9 through to 72, that's all he does. He just starts to tell the future generations how Israel just kept blowing it. They kept making mistakes. They kept rejecting the Lord. And yet every single time God in his might and deliverance and grace and splendor and mercy impacted them. You see, it is so easy as dads, I think, to get so bogged down and overly focused with having well-behaved, well-sleeping, well-mannered, Never arguing, generous to everybody, siblings. And, and we just, that's what we do. All energy goes into, okay, please, you've got to say please, you've got to say thank you. Okay, no, no, please, before thank you. And that's good, that's good. Yeah, now I'd rather you don't beat each other today. You know, there are a lot, there's a lot of things that we spend a lot of time doing as fathers. And I'm not saying they're wrong. Obviously, they're important. All those things are important. But what I do think we learn from Asaph is there is something more important. There is something more primary in the way we're seeking to win our children. And it is not relating to what they need to do. It relates into what God has done for them. His wonders. His might. His splendor. His glories. 
And that is exactly what Asaph is seeking to teach us here. Men, be men, be fathers that pass on to the next generation. Tell them, do not hide from them, but tell them the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He is talking here about dazzling your children with the Lord. Isn't it great? And it's so clarifying, I think, of what the heck I'm meant to be doing as a dad. Training them in the way they should go. You know, in this regard, I'd have to say I'm so grateful for my mum and dad, my parents. Because they did, even as a young man, dazzle me with the Lord. Because it was infectious the way they were. You know, I remember walking through things in my life at three, four, five years old. And my parents just be going, that's great. Do you see God in that? Do you see what he's done? He, he's brought that friend along for you. How kind he is. Let's just pause and pray and give thanks to the Lord for that. You know, guys, why don't we have a party for your birthday? And why don't we recognize during this party that all these friends are a gift from the Lord to you? My parents brought me up that way. I was brought up aware that the God who, who goes into Daniel's li- in the, Daniel in the lion's den and closes the lion's mouths, the God who spins the galaxies, the God who took the Red Sea and parted it is the same God that lives today, the same God that can do things today. And my parents didn't just teach me about that. They, they lived that out in such a way that it was infectious. I never had a season in my life where I didn't believe in God. And where I wasn't dazzled by the Lord, I certainly had in my later teens years a season in my life where the world seemed very attractive. And I had to bottom out where I stood. But in terms of believing in God and believing that God can do anything he wants, I, I was dazzled by that because of my parents. Because they passed it on. I remember when my dad would correct me and discipline me numerous times. Well, actually numerous times because I was a naughty boy. But numerous times... He would say, you know what, David, son, you did that because you're sinful. And you're sinful like me as your dad. And we both now need a savior. He pointed me to Jesus. He took the time. Not just to, okay, well, let's get them well-mannered. Let's do, you know, oh, they're driving me crazy. Let's just get them all compartmentalized. And No, he... Their passion was seeing us go on, both myself and my brother and sister, to love the Lord. I remember numerous times sitting around the family dinner table and we'd be discussing things, one time very vividly, and just saying, Mom and Dad, what do you want us to do with our lives? And we were starting to think about GCSEs and all that type of stuff, about what we were going to pick. And they said, kids, we don't really mind what you do. We just want you to love Jesus Christ with all your heart, your mind, your strength. That's all we really want for you. That's all we've ever prayed for for you. I never heard anything else to the contrary. That was always what was being championed in our home. The wonders of the Lord and the galaxies above that he has formed and how they were seeking to show us that he is the one that has done all these things. Dads, I want to encourage you then. Would we be men who seek to dazzle our children with the Lord? It's not about them being just well-mannered and polite and eating the right foods and, you know, Whatever. It's about ensuring that we present a God to them that is worthy of all praise. And that he may break in on their lives and save their souls. It is only he ultimately that can do that. 
He is the one that can take our kids from death to life. But we have an important part to play. As Asaph tells us, in telling to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Number three, to close. Wise and faithful fathers are therefore consistently reliant upon the Lord and his faithful provision. This should now encourage every dad in the room that is aware of now the call of God on your life to lead your home and to seek to use the gifts of your home, of husband and wife, as you seek to lead your wife, as she seeks to help you, as you then stand on that platform of marriage together to seek to win your children for Jesus Christ and dazzle them with the Lord. I trust this will be comforting. Because what you realize is wise and faithful dads are reliant upon the Lord and his provision. They don't just go off and go, okay, I've got it now. Here we go. They're aware, I'm in a lot of trouble if this is what I'm called to do. This is hard. This is a high and holy calling on every dad in the room. The task of fatherhood is without doubt a high and a holy calling. And yet God in his grace doesn't call dads to it and then go, you know, all the best. He says, okay, I'm going to call you to it. And I'm going to provide for you. Well, what does he provide? Well, a few things that I want to remind you of in closing. Means of grace that he's given us that I think we want to be embracing as men. Number one, our wives. He's given us helpers in the role of seeking to train these children in the way they should go. Seeking to dazzle them with the gospel. You know, for those that are in sovereign grace, I, I would simply say this. We've all married out of our leagues. You know what I'm saying? Me more than the most. I mean, honestly, there's different times I, I look at my wife and spend time with my wife and think, what? how did God blind you when we were courting to ensure that when I asked you, you'd say yes? You know, there's just different times. You think It's just a staggering truth that, that she would say yes. And I'm well married out of my league. And the only comforting grace that there is for me in that is, so have you. And, and, and looking at you and knowing you as men, you think, she married you. It just gives me hope, you know, that I'm not alone. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of a husband. And I think we've all married ladies that are our crowns, aren't we? I'm aware that in talking about this idea of a head and a helper, in sovereign grace, no one's arguing back with me in that. Because you grasp what the Lord is doing. You want to do this. You want to walk biblically. You want to walk right before the Lord in the way that he has designed it to be. Ladies, you have my commendation for that. Because I think you as ladies, taking that disposition, albeit a biblical disposition, are swimming against the tide of culture. You are very dear crowns to your husband. And men, we need to understand our wives are a massive means of grace in in training our children. You see, for me, as I head up my home, as I seek to lead my home, here's the reality. Emma is a lot, lot better at it than me when it comes to training children. Seriously. But I can't then abdicate and just say, well, because you're better at it than me, I'll, I'll just, off you go. She's my teacher most of the time. Okay, help me see what should I be saying. Okay, okay, great, I'll go say that. You know, that's, that's kind of the way I roll. 
I've still got to be the guy who's going. I've still got to be leading my home. But I'm aware that I need a helper. Someone that's going to assist me in this role. Someone that's going to help me dazzle our children with the Lord. That's going to counsel me and encourage me and fan this into fame. And join me in the ranks as we both do it together for the glory of the Lord. Our wives are such a means of grace to us, aren't they? That's not all. Number two, the local church. In 1 Corinthians 1, there's that wonderful passage and that I was going to start off with this morning, but I didn't. But just that whole premise of for consider your calling, brothers. And he starts to go on about how, you know, not many of you are wise, not many of you are powerful, not many of you are noble, but how God came after us and he saved us. And so we make our boast in Jesus Christ. It's great, but it's a double edged sword. It's great because you realize it's all a work of grace. Our salvation from start to finish is an entire work of grace. That's really encouraging. But it's a double-edged sword because if you're observant to it, what you also realize is, hang on, we're not that wise, we're not that powerful, we're not that noble, we're not too great, are we? And yet sometimes as dads, I think we then come into church as Christians and think, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a super dad, I'm probably going to be pretty amazing, no deficiencies, no weaknesses, no foolishness or whatever. And yet God says, hang on, I saved you because you were foolish. I saved you because you weren't that smart. I saved you because you did have deficiencies. And I've given you the context of a local church where you can be joined by other men and women around you that can help you. You know, sovereign grace, there is no room for super dads. Seriously. Because I don't think they exist outside of God the Father. I think it's just a bunch of guys having a go. And standing together for the glory of the Lord and trying. You know, my experience of, of being a father, and seeking a pastor of fathers, is fathers can tend towards two extremes. One extreme is abdication. So being aware that, yes, the role is mine. I should be leading my home. I'm called by the Lord to dazzle my children with the Lord. I know that, but I can't. And my wife's really good at it. So, you know, and they just abdicate. And it doesn't take long, usually, for Emma and I to be interacting with that type of couple, or particularly Emma to be interacting with that type of lady, and she's in tears because the guy will not lead. And she's struggling with the children, and she's asking her husband, well, what what do you want me to do? And his response is, I don't know. That's abdication. And that's disgraceful because the Lord has called us to be the leader in that home, the pastor in that home. It doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. We may, be, we may well be aware, as I am regularly, I don't know. But I'm a leader, so it's my job to know, go and find out and then come back home and say, this is what I think we should do. One premise that guys, I think, fall off is abdication because they're just unsure. But the other side of the fence is these guys over here that are very aware that they're called to be the head of their home. They're very aware that they're called to dazzle their kids with the gospel. And they think they've got it down pat. We're all over it. All saw it. And now and again, you interact with them and you say, you know, um, have you ever considered that, that, that doing this with your child may have these implications? <laughs> yeah, we've considered it. It's fine. Thanks for asking. On the one side of the coin... Abdication. On the other side of the coin, pride. 
is if God's made me unique. God's made my kids unique. I remember when I had particularly younger children, I was a proud and arrogant father. Because at different times, I would look at children older than my children and think, wouldn't do that. Won't be doing that. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Little Johnny seems to be talking like that. Our children won't be doing that. I'm not going to go to them for counsel. Oh, oh, that little girl says that. Oh, that's them. I'm not talking to them about parenting. And suddenly you realize there's nobody to talk to. But apparently you're going to be great. And then your kids get older and you realize, you know, when they're two and you say, nope. And they test you and you give responses and consequences. But eventually they get there. As they get older and older and older, they don't respond in the same way. And you can't bring the same consequences to bear in the same way. And you think, oh dear. And you go looking for all the mums and dads that you had written off years before to say, what do you think? Help me. That's pride. The biblical way, I believe, in parenting is to understand God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And men, I want to encourage you as fathers, one of the greatest means of grace God has given us is each other. To say, you know what? This is what I'm walking through with my children. Any thoughts? In fact, even beyond that, you know me, you're in my fellowship group. Any observations at all about the way I'm bringing up the children? Because I'd appreciate any help. Appreciate your counsel. Any thoughts? I think God gives grace to that. He helps that. He aids that. God gives us our wives. He gives us the local church. He also gives us his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. My friends, this is our greatest ally as we go about the task of parenting. All this stuff about the wonders of the Lord, you haven't got to pull out of your head. It's all in here. And it's not only in here. According to what it says in here, all scripture is breathed out by God. And if we teach it and train with it and reprove with it, the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Is that not what you want to see your children doing when they're older? Equipped and competent in every good work. Here it is. We just got to pass it on. We've got to dazzle them with this is what it says in here. These are the things that we learn about God in here. These are the implications for your life in here. This is how great God is in here. He's given us his word to help us. He's also given us mentors. Today I've put out a bookshop, a bookshop over there, particularly to fathers. And I want to encourage you, get books on parenting because we can be mentored by these guys. We need help. You know, I think one of the things I found in Sydney, and it's not much different to the UK either, to be honest, is, you know, you have men that have, you know, got got degrees that clearly have read quite a bit in their life and yet simply can't manage a pamphlet when it comes to parenting. And then usually you're interacting with the wife regularly about what she should read next and somehow the fella's just relying on what she will learn that's just going to be passed on to you while you you know sit around and watch the nrl or something there's something busy that's going on and yet the realization of scripture that you are the leader of your home that you are called to dazzle your children with the lord should provoke something in us that realizes i need to find out about this stuff because i'm on 
couple of mentors then I want to encourage you in. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp and Instructing a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Just great stuff. Particularly help us when we've got little children. Understand, what am I even trying to do? What am I aiding to do? Am I just trying to alter behavior or am I trying to shepherd a heart? Altering a behavior, well, that behavior just carries on. But shepherding a heart, the behavior starts to change. Age of Opportunity, another great book by Paul Tripp. In fact, every, everything that's written by somebody, Tripp, buy it because it's just great stuff. Age of Opportunity, specifically for teenage years, just being able to seize what the teenage years give us, just fantastic stuff. And then Point Man, How a Man Can Lead His Family and Finishing Strong by Steve Farrer. We're actually going through Point Man as a, as a fellowship group in our life group at the minute. It's just great stuff. It's just encouraging stuff as you realize that this is what I'm called to do. And the leadership of my home. This is where I need to be sharpened and helped. Let's embrace mentors that are going to help us. In leadership, you haven't got to have all the answers. In some ways, you've just got to have the initiative to go and find out where to look. And then you look. And you put one foot in front of the other. And you keep moving forward. And you hope your family's behind you. And moving forward. That's leadership. The Lord has given us our wives, the local church, his word. He's given us mentors. But most of all, In conclusion, he's given us himself. And brothers, if we've got that, then we've got everything we need. God in his grace upon saving us not only forgave us, not only reconciled us, not only ensured that heaven would be our home, he also adopted us into his very family. And for you as fathers, he took you as men who were once far off from him, his enemies, and now seats you at his table where he can father you. Isn't that wonderful? We're not cut off from God anymore. We're now acceptable to God, having been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect father then, is the wonderful mentor for us. The perfect mentor for us. And in Hebrews 4 then, we read as follows. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My friends, our opportunity in parenting is fleeting at best. It will be over in a moment. And yet we have the call of God in our lives to dazzle our kids with the Lord, to train them in the way that they should go. And the responsibility for that as fathers is on our head. And the Lord has given us all that we need in our wives, in the church, in mentors, in his word. But most of all, he's given us himself. And as long as we have himself, we have all that we need. You know, I think it would be an appropriate way to finish then by by praying for all the fathers. In fact, I'd like us all to stand together. Lord, I thank you that your grace for us as fathers is more than enough. Lord, that as you gift us with children, you don't gift us and then abandon us with some high and holy calling. You gift us with children and then you say, you know what? I'm going to be right there for you. 
Lord, I do thank you then that we are sons first and fathers second. And that you are all we need and we all have you. So, Lord, I do pray for every father in the room. Would we know your nearness? Would we know your grace? Would we know with fresh clarity what we're called to be doing? Lord, would you help us to not waste our fatherhood? Standing on your word, empowered by your spirit, would we dazzle our children with you? Lord, would they fall in love with what we are in love with? Namely, their mothers and you. Lord, help us to do these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.